prayer. Let's dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. And Lord, we ask, oh Lord, may your Holy Spirit be our teacher this morning. I pray that everyone would leave here clearly understanding these verses that for so many stumble them or cause them to fear. And Lord, I pray that those who don't know you may come to know you today. So Lord, be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. And again, may the Holy Spirit be our teacher, not man. Less of me, more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. So this morning, like always, and especially this morning, context is so important. You've heard me say, you take a text out of context, all you got left is a con. And we don't want any cons, amen? And so the context of this entire book written by the Apostle John, now John, as we know, he referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And people, some people thought that was because of his arrogance. I think it's because of his humility. He was blown away that the Lord loved him. By the time this is being written, more than likely, all the other apostles have been martyred. So John is going to also write the book of Revelation, and he's writing this letter to the early church that sadly, it's only been about 40, 30 to 40 years since Jesus went to heaven, and already there's false teachers running amok. And what they were saying was, they were known as the Gnostics. The word Gnostic just means knowledge. And they thought they had a new knowledge. And they said, oh, we have a new word, a new truth. You need to come to us to find out the real truth. You know what Jesus said was this, but we have even more of the truth. And that's how every cult starts. The Mormon church is founded on a man by the Joseph Smith. He said, we have a new truth. Charles Taze Russell, Church of Religious Science, the Jehovah's Witnesses, all of them say they got a new truth. If it's new, it's not true. Amen? And so the Gnostics were teaching, if you give your life to the Lord, your spirit is saved. And since you live in the flesh, you can just live like the devil the rest of the week because your spirit is saved. And so we're going to see that clearly in the text today, that's not the case. When you give your life to Jesus, the Bible tells us you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Amen? And we're not sinless, but we should sin less because now the way we view sin is different. Before we reveled in it, now we're grieved by it. Well, the Gnostics taught just the opposite. There was also a group of the Gnostics that taught that they could get to a place where they didn't sin anymore that they had achieved sinless perfection. Anybody here think that you're in that spot? How many people sinned this week? Thought life, everything, okay, your hands not up, you're prideful on your lion, so you sin some more, amen? But the reality is that we are all sinners, but that being said, it's not an excuse for us to continue in sin. The Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, amen? So let's look at the outline, and like I said, uh, by the way, most of you know I'm going to be away for three Sundays in a row. I haven't done that in 34 years. I've been a pastor except when I was in the hospital. And it's not going to start for two weeks. But I, I was praying about what to teach. I'm teaching at a conference, and then I'm teaching on a Sunday morning. I, I was invited to teach at a church there in Honolulu. And I said, I'm going to absolutely do that. And this is what I'm going to teach. Because I just spent many days and many hours studying this text. And like I said, it's as heavy a text in the Bible as it, as it gets, okay? Especially if you don't understand it, you will walk away dismayed. So we understand the context. It's written in a time when people are saying you can achieve sinless perfection or because you've given your life to the Lord, you can sin all you want and it's not a big deal. So here's the outline. I tell the message, sin and the child of God. First, we're gonna see our sin problem. The nature of sin and Jesus' work of, in removing our sin. So we need to understand that as believers, 
Even though we're born again and our sins have been washed away, we still have the, the daily struggle with sin. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. But we have a different way of viewing sin. See, before, again, before we knew the Lord, we would sin and we didn't even think about it. But now that you've been born again, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Whenever you sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. And praise God for conviction. Because when we're convicted, it shows that there, we've been converted. If there's no conviction when you sin, you don't know Jesus and you need to get saved. Amen? So the reality here is we're going to see that our sin problem, we're going to see sin defined, we're going to see sin defeated, and we're going to see that in him there is no sin. So first we're going to see our sin problem. And then secondly, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you a question. How are you living? What does your life look like? Are you abiding in him? Or are you abiding in your sin? And we need to talk about that. And I think as believers, we should be abiding in him. Amen? And if we're abiding in him, our sins are forgiven. So we're going to look at that. We all sin. We all fall short. But there's a a habitual, ongoing uh, practice of sin that reflects somebody who does not know the Lord. So we'll we'll look at that in depth. And those are the two verses, verse 6 and 7 where people's heads explode. And I've had more people ask me about, call me on the phone in the middle of the night. I was reading my Bible, Pastor. What is this? Am I saved? Let's get that cleared up today. Amen. And then finally, whose child are you? Oh, I brought some visitors. What, really? Are you a child of God or a child of the devil? Because you're a child of one of them. I didn't hear one amen in the room to that. Amen. But the reality is you're either for him or you're against him. You're a child of God or you're an enemy of God. You either know God or you don't know God. And again, you being good and God doesn't grade on the curve. You don't compare yourself to other people. God doesn't grade on the curve. He grades at the cross. Amen? And it's your relationship with him. Practicing righteousness, exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit as a child of God, sinning willfully, willingly, habitually, without conviction, a child of the enemy. Pastor Dave, if I'd known this, I wouldn't have invited my friends. But guys, guess what? We're all here by divine appointment this morning. Amen? And you know what? I love when we get to parts of Scripture that for some people are hard to understand. And my prayer is, as my dad taught me, keep the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach them. Amen? And what that means is you teach deep truths in a simple way. And my prayer is that you'll all walk out of here never being troubled by these verses again, fully understanding what they mean. And if you don't know the Lord, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Amen? All right. Let's begin there in verse 4. It says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Okay, so we need to define sin a little bit, because sometimes people make sin less than it really is, and they act like it's not a big deal, and they'll change terms for, well, I didn't sin, I just made a mistake. You know, I, I, just, I just acted out of character for a moment. No, you sinned. Can I get an amen to that? And so it says whoever, and the word whoever, any, all, every, as many as, the words following whoever is for everyone who, who lives on this planet, amen? And everybody who's ever lived. Now, it says, so in context, even the false teaching Gnostics who claimed that the acts of the wicked flesh had no bearing on the spirit, they taught they could be a Christian and still live a life of sin and defiance and rebellion against God's word. So they're, he's saying everybody, this applies to the Gnostics, this applies to no matter what you teach, what you believe, who you follow, this applies to everyone. So everyone means everyone, and that includes me and you. It says sin is lawlessness. So regardless of what men or 
the world may do to establish law, establish uh, the, the law of God supersedes the law of man. Amen? So I'll have people say to me, especially when I was in Santa Cruz, which is the tofu tie-dye new age lesbian capital of the United States. I pastored a church there for 10 years. Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. But when I was pastoring that church, I'd have people, this is almost weekly. Hey, Pastor Dave, man, so weed is like, you know, like legal now. So it's all good, right? No. Well, it grows up out of the ground, man. And if God didn't want us to smoke it, he wouldn't have had grown it, right? I had this conversation more times than I can count. I said, well, so does poison oak grow up out of the ground. Let's smoke some of that. And get uranium out of the ground. Smoke some of that. But here's the point. We do not use what the man says is okay when it contradicts the word of God. This is why abortion, whether it's legal in your state or not, is murder, it's sin, and it's wrong, no matter what the world has to say, amen? No matter how the world defines marriage, the way God defines marriage is the only marriage that counts. It's one man and one woman for a lifetime, amen? So when the world redefines things, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God define things like people who don't know God. And so he's saying, look, sin is lawlessness, and it doesn't matter what the world says, what does the word of God say? Well, God loves us the way we are. He loves us enough not to leave us the way we are. Amen? He loves you just as you are. You don't have to get better for God to love you. But because he loves you and he will pour his spirit out upon you, you will get better. Amen? And so because he loves you the way you are, you don't have to earn his love. He's already proven it on the cross of Calvary but he will not leave you the way you are. God's word and his commands are the standard by which all will be judged. The breaking or compromise or disregard of God's word is sin, and we will be accountable to God for breaking the law. And again, even if society or those who govern us or a false teacher approves of some other behavior, there's people that teach polygamy is okay, right? And they say they got it from the Bible. Joseph Smith had 30 wives and would take wives from other people. He wouldn't have taken my wife. I'd have knocked him out in Jesus' name. Can I get him into that? <laughs> but he's a polygamist, and he taught that God said, if you want to have the, reach the highest heaven, you have to have as many wives as possible so you can populate your planet when you become God of your own planet. That's not a man-centered gospel or anything. But the point is that we don't listen to what the world says or what the false teachers say. The word of God is the standard, and that's the one that we follow. Amen. In a society where premarital sex, adultery, lying to get ahead, drunkenness, drug use, greed, self-centeredness, pride, using God's name as a curse word, the murder of millions of unborn babies, the condoning of homosexuality, and the promotion of same-sex marriage, guys, we don't listen to the world, we listen to God. Now, we pray for all the people struggling with those things, amen? And all of us have committed something on that list, amen? So... Again, it's not, we don't condone sinful behavior. We need to recognize that we are all sinners in desperate need of a savior. And society changes words that, uh, in the way that we identify sin to make it sound okay. Adultery, they don't call it adultery, they call it an affair. Like it's a catered affair or something, right? It's an affair. I'm just having an affair. I'm just sowing wild oats. No, you're a fornicator, bro. I'm, I'm just having an affair. No, you're an adulteress or an adulterer. God hates that. Amen? 
Be faithful to your spouse. Where entertainment is dominated by the viewing these very same sins on a movie screen, you know what? We get desensitized to sin the more we watch it. Amen? The more times you see it, the more, you know, you'll be rooting for adultery in a movie because the guy she's married to is a total jerk and some real nice guy comes along and all of a sudden you're rooting for adultery. No! But that's what happens when we allow the world to impact us. Uh, Music. I had a Christian friend that was in his car, this was 15 years ago, and all of a sudden he pops in ACDC and he's singing Highway to Hell while we're driving to lunch. And I just sat there in shock for three minutes. And then I think he looked over and remembered who was in the car with him. And he was like, I go, bro, really? Oh, I don't know how that happened. It pops out as DVD or CD, right? The explosion of technology has made access to sin like no other time in human history, amen? Right now, that, that phone you have in your back pocket or in your hand has more capability than the computers they use to launch the, the first uh, rocket to the moon. And so you have this technology in your hand, and it can be used for wonderful things. There's things you can do on your, on your phone. You can listen to Christian music. You can read things in the Word. You can send pictures. You get pictures from your grandchildren. I mean, wonderful things that can take place. But you also have access to pornography. You have access to gambling. You have access to, uh, you know, dating sites. There's a site where they will, you will pay them money and they will cover your adultery by, you call that number and they'll pretend to be whatever you want it to be so you don't get caught committing adultery. It's on the internet. Now, most of you know I have a full-time job, but one of the things I sell along with advertising, part of that advertising is on the internet. If the internet blew up tomorrow, I would be saying, praise the Lord. Because <laughs> there's so much evil that comes through it. So we need to be careful with what we look at, amen? The, a man who would never go into a strip club, you couldn't give him a million dollars to walk into a strip club because he'd be seen by other people. It would be embarrassing. Well, log onto his computer in the middle of the night or look at his phone when he's away on a business trip. The internet, pornography, again, gambling, blogs, community chat rooms have brought more sinful behavior and temptation. Again, off of the street corners and out of the strip clubs and casinos and into our homes. And society may condone it. The government may call it legal. And in God's eyes, it's still sin. Amen? It's lawlessness. It's actually contrary to the law. Now, by the way, I've said this a thousand times. One more won't hurt you. God does not give us his word. It's not, a, it's not to keep us from fun, but to keep us from harm. Amen? Again, it's not a fence to keep you out of... You have Disneyland, it's a guardrail to keep it from driving off a cliff. And so when he gives us his word, it's to protect us. We're his children. He loves us. He loved us so much, he'd rather die than live without us. He proved it on the cross of Calvary. And so when he gives us his word, it's for our, our sanctification. It's for us to live more like our Savior and to know his presence and to know his peace. We, we often fail in the battle against sin because we want to recognize, we don't want to recognize it for what it really is. The first step to holy living is to recognize the true nature and wickedness of sin. Quit making excuses for the sin in your life and repent. Amen? Quit acting like it's no big deal because other Christians do it. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. On judgment day, again, we all stand bare before the Lord on our own. We can blame nobody else. It's between us and God. Amen? And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This lawlessness is an offense to our God. 
I've had people say to me when I have these discussions, they're like, well, you know, you're a Christian, so you would never commit adultery because that would hurt your wife. And that's absolutely true. It would hurt my wife. But you know what? The one I'm concerned about hurting even more than my wife is my Savior. Amen? And so when we sin, when we openly walk in rebellion against God, it breaks the heart of our Savior, the one who loves us so much He'd rather die than live without us. It says in Romans 7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. I had not known sin, but by the law. For I, have what not, I did not know lust, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. See, the word of God is a mirror. The Bible says it's a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. And when you open up the word of God, it's this mirror that reflects on your life. And you can see the areas where, you know what? I'm not measuring up to what the word of God says. Now, again, you don't go to heaven because you're sinless. You don't go to heaven because you're perfect. But what the, what the sin does is that it doesn't save us. It shows us our need for a savior. Amen? It reveals to us that we have fallen short and we need to be born again. The law was designed to show us our need for Jesus. It's in Galatians 3.24 where it says, The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So lawlessness reigns in the world, but it must not reign in us. God's word and the Holy Spirit's conviction remind us, convict us, and ultimately help restore us to where we need to be. Sin is never good. It's never acceptable. It's never okay. Amen? Think of your, just think of it this way. We've got the best dad ever in our heavenly father, and he's laid out guidelines for us because he is perfect. He knows what is best for us. He doesn't want to see us go into harm. He doesn't want to see our families destroyed. He doesn't want to see our lives destroyed. And so he gives us his word because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. And there's nothing more foolish than to disobey his word to satisfy what our flesh wants when our flesh only wants to destroy us. Amen? Verse five. That was just one verse. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? How we doing? Verse five, it's gonna get better. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him, there is no sin. Who is it talking about? He was manifested, who is this he? It's Jesus. So the word manifested there, he was born. He took on human flesh. He left heaven and came to earth. We don't talk about this enough. Almighty God left heaven to come here on purpose. And this place is sinful and wicked and perverse. Amen? Paul got a glimpse of heaven. I believe it's Paul because he had a Noah man who was caught up into a third heaven and he couldn't explain because it was so amazing. And when he got a glimpse of heaven, you know what happened to that brother? He was fearless beyond belief. Remember it happened. I believe it happened when he was stoned to death at Lystra. God raised him from the dead. He had had a glimpse of heaven. What did he do? He went right back into Lystra and started preaching again. Like, dude, I'll, I'll stand still, throw some more rocks because you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? Because heaven is better. Heaven is perfect. Heaven is holy. No pain, no sorrow, no death, no suffering. Amen. No temptation, no politics. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. None of that. It's all gone. Where the Lord rules and reigns forever. Can you imagine leaving that to come here on purpose, knowing that when you came, men would mock you, men would curse you, they would scourge you, they would crucify you, and they would have hatred towards you, and most of the people that you would die for would completely and totally reject you. And I truly believe this is true, and I'm going to get emotional. I believe that Jesus would have come if only you were going to get saved. Amen? For him, you are worth it. 
He'd rather die than live without you. See, that's the difference between Jesus and Muhammad. Muhammad said, follow me or I'll kill you. Jesus said, follow me because I died for you. Amen? He was willing to lay down his life that you might have eternal life. That's our Savior. That's why it hurts me when someone curses his name. That's why I won't take God's money to, to pay to watch the very sins that Christ died for. That's my Savior. Along with my son passing away 10 months ago, my brother went to heaven about four months ago, and one of our last discussions, he had kicked out his roommate. I said, Mark, his name was Mark, just like my son. I named my son after him. And I said, Mark, why'd you kick your roommate out? Because he said he wouldn't stop cursing God's name, and it hurt me every time he did it. I kept telling him, stop cursing his name. I don't like that. And he just kept doing it. So finally I told him, you got to go, bro. You can't curse my Savior and live in my house. It's not going to work. And I said, amen to that. Amen. But Jesus came knowing his name would be cursed, knowing that he would be rejected, knowing that he would know separation from the Father. He endured all of it because he loves you so much. Those of you, those who would say sin is no big deal, completely miss the point of why Jesus came. In so doing, they minimize the redeeming work of the cross of Calvary. Reason person has uh, no understanding of the cross and the person of Jesus Christ. He came not only to forgive us for our sins, but to remove them from us. It says there in the verse, to take away our sins. We cannot cleanse ourselves. That's why Jesus came. Maybe you're here, somebody invited you, and you think, well, I'm not sure there's a God, but if there is, I'm sure I'll be fine because I'm a good guy. Well, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Amen? And you're part of that none. And we're all, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And he offers salvation universally, but it must be accepted individually. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. The angel Gabriel in Luke chapter one promised Joseph in regards to the ministry of Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. The word to take away there in Greek means to rise up, to lift up, to carry away. It's interesting that one of the offerings that they made when, uh, before Jesus came, all the blood offerings were all pointing to Jesus. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One of the offerings that they made, they had a, what was called, a, a, you'd take a goat, and one would be sacrificed, and they would confess the sins of all the people over the other goat. And then they would send the goat out, and they had people at different stations, and they would send it out to go get it as far away from them as they possibly could. And it's amazing that they did it from east to west, and people would be at standards, oh, what just went by. They drove it out as far away. And you know what? The Bible tells us that when we've been forgiven. He has separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. It's not the north and south, because they meet again, but the east and west never do. Amen. And he separated our sin as far as east is from the west. It's been carried away. It's been taken away. Either you let him pay for your sin or you'll pay for it yourself. It's not the idea of Jesus paying for our sins on the cross that's in mind, but the idea of removing sins away from us. Jesus didn't come just to pay for our sins but, and leave them sitting there, but to take them away. He didn't just pay for them and leave them there. He removed them. Again, on the day of atonement, this is when they would confess their sins over the goat. Jesus takes our sins away, not only its penalty, but its power. Amen? The Bible says that Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. My son Mark, who's now in heaven, struggled with depression since he was 15 for 13 years. And we would have this conversation often. And he would come to me and say, Dad, I don't understand why God won't take the depression away. 
He would be weeping. All six, five, 250 of them would be weeping. He'd say, Dad, I, I fast, I pray, I plead, I beg, and God won't take my depression away. And I let him know that depression doesn't come from the Lord. It comes from the enemy. It's how we respond to the depression. Amen? And, that, and when we're depressed, the enemy wants us to run to something that will relieve us in drugs or alcohol or whatever else. But that's the very thing that can kill us and separate us from, Amen? And so, the, so for all of us, whatever that struggle is for you, the power of it was triumphed over on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And when you are struggling with that, you can either run to the enemy or you can run to the Lord. And my encouragement is run to the Lord. Amen? Run to him. Cry out to him. Confess to him. Seek him. Get on your face and pray and seek his will as opposed to running to the enemy because that's what he wants. It says, and in him... There is no sin. Jesus is perfect, holy, the only qualified sacrifice as Christians, not only as followers, we're becoming more like him. So Jesus, there is no sin. Every other religious leader ever born was a sinner. Amen. Muhammad's a sinner. Joseph Smith's a sinner. Charles T. Russell's a sinner. Buddha's a sinner. I just go down the list. It doesn't matter. All, L. Ron Hubbard, big time sinner. Amen. All these sinners, right? And they want you to follow them when they are lost themselves. Jesus Christ, creator, Alpha and Omega, all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty God. Amen. He said, light is and light was. He put the stars in the sky. Before, before Abraham was, I am. He's always existed. He's always been and he always will be. That's our God, amen? He's not created, he's creator. And he created you in his image. And he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. As his followers, we are his bride. And we should become more and more like him. Our beliefs seen in our behavior, a clear connection uh, to the root and the fruit, right? I mean, what's in here should be reflected on how we act out here. Belief is reflected in behavior. Now, behavior doesn't save us, but behavior shows that we've, we've been saved. Amen? So when you give your life to the Lord, your behavior changes. And again, in Christ, not only does our position change, but our person changes. Sin not only redeemed, but removed. To truly know him is to become more like him the way we live and how we view sin. So sin and the child of God. Our sin, we saw the sin defined, it's lawlessness. We saw how sin was defeated through Jesus Christ on the cross. We see that in him there is no sin. Now here come the, you thought those verses were heavy. Here's the ones people struggle with. You ready? Verse six and seven. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Uh-oh. Who sinned this week? Whoever abides in him does not sin. Oh, no. We're all disqualified. We're all in trouble. This is the phone call I get. Somebody reads this. Well, but, but Pastor, whoa, whoa. I just, I'm reading first. John. Oh, you're in chapter, well, you're verse six, chapter three, right? I already know. They're panicking. They've known the Lord for a while, and then they read this verse for the first time. The word, let me say, whoever, again, is all, any, everybody, abides, means continues, dwells, remains. You know, we're grafted into him, right? John 15, he is the vine, we are the branches. He that believes in him bears much fruit. We're grafted into him. That's the only reason we bear fruit. Our source of life, grace, holiness, wisdom, strength, joy, peace, and comfort is rooted and grounded and stand fast in him. 
And more than simply knowing about him, we know him intimately. We dwell with him. We walk with him. It says in 1 John chapter 2, we saw this a few weeks ago, and now little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So here's the struggle. We have this abide in him. You'll have nothing to fear when he comes back. And it says, but then it says, if you abide in him, you will not sin. Not abiding. This is raw reach. If you're not abiding, bro, you're not going. That's what he says. But here's the reality. Abiding in him is a reflection, again, that we're walking with the Lord, that we know him. So since sin is lawlessness, to disregard for God, and since Jesus came to take away our sins, and since in Jesus there is no sin, to abide in him means there is no sin. Now, by the way, he's talking to the Gnostics who all said, put your faith in Jesus and live however you want. You can pray a prayer, put the get out of hell free card in your wallet and just go live like the devil the rest of your life and you'll be just fine because that's the flesh sinning and not the spirit. Well, that's being refuted right here in big time, amen? But I want to to give you some definitions here so uh, you don't panic, amen? Whoever abides in him does not. 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Wait a minute. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then that verse says, whoever abides in him does not sin. How do you put those two verses together? Again, if you take a text out of context, all you got left is a con, amen? How do we reconcile these two verses that seem to say we all sin, but if we truly abide, we would not sin? By the way, the Bible never contradicts itself. The key again is context and grammar in the original language. Whoever abides in him does not sin. And again, the grammar for 1 John 1, 8 is if we say we have no sin, we don't sin on occasion. So the sin it's talking about here in this verse is a settled, continuous lifestyle of habitual sin. It's somebody who has surrendered their life to a sinful behavior, it is their lifestyle, it defines who they are, and they refuse to repent. That's a little different than when we tell a lie or we exaggerate or we have a lustful thought and we have an immediate conviction and we're crying out to God asking for forgiveness. Amen? And this is why some people will come and say, well, yeah, I'm living this sinful lifestyle, but I believe in God, I'm okay. Well, no, you're defining yourself by that lifestyle it's not okay. Amen? Rebellion or fellowship, choose one. You can't have both. Amen? And so the, in, in 1 John 1.8, let me say it again. The sin there is talking about is an occasional act, and then we are immediately repenting of it because we're convicted by the Holy Spirit. Here it's speaking of a settled continuous lifestyle of habitual sin. John is not speaking of sinless perfection. While it should be our desire to never sin again, but that won't happen until we get to heaven. You've heard me say this again. We got new people here. We're justified when we get saved, just as if we never sinned. When, we, when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, your sin is separated as far as the east is from the west, you're a new creation in Christ, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? But when that moment takes place, right, when we confess our sin, there's a transforming work that takes place, and that's called sanctification. So we're justified when we give our life to the Lord just as if we'd never sinned, but now we're being sanctified. We're being set apart. We're being molded more to the image of our Savior, but we will not be glorified until we get to heaven. Amen? I notice a lot of you are really warm. The sun is free today. No extra charge. <laughs> 
But here's the reality. So we're justified until we're, and then now we're being sanctified until the day that we are glorified. Again, that won't happen. He's not, he's not speaking of sinless perfection. The present tense in gr- the Greek implies a habit, continual, unbroken sequence. In the NIV, the nearly inspired version, it says this, <laughs> no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. That's their translation. What, what that means again, so you struggled with this area of your lifestyle and you made that what you were defined by and then you give your life to Jesus and that should change. Amen? It should change. You should be different. Again, whoever abides in him does not sin. John's message is consistent with the rest of Scripture. While all sin, we all sin and fall short, a lifestyle of habitual, ongoing, willing, and deliberate rebellion against the Word of God is not consistent with a life that is abiding in Christ. If there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. Amen? See, what, what keeps us from sinning as believers is we're convicted every time we sin. Can I get an amen to that? When you sin, you're convicted. People come to me and say, man, I'm still struggling with this. And I, I don't know if I'm saved or not. And my response is always the same. Are, how did you feel about that sin six months ago before you gave your life to the Lord? And how do you feel about it now? Well, then I loved it. I, I reveled in it. I talked about it. And uh, I didn't care who knew about it. And then I gave my life to the Lord. And now every time I do it, my heart breaks. And I'm convicted by it. And it drives me to my knees. That means you're saved. Amen? Because people who don't know the Lord are not don't driven to their knees because of their sin. But those who walk, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. So if you're, if you're looking at porn with the Holy Spirit, how do you think that's going to go? Amen? If you're connecting with your secretary and having an adulterous relationship with the Holy Spirit, how's that going to go? You know, if you're, if you're cussing out your neighbor and you have the Holy Spirit, how's that going to, see, when we know the Lord, it changes the way that we view sin, and we don't live a life that is defined by deliberate and habitual sin that we refuse to turn away from, and that's what he's talking about. What he's talking about, those who continue in habitual sin, who refuse to recognize it as sin, who continue on in that sin, and refuse to repent, they don't know God. Amen? So that, that's the, and again, that's why it's important that we look at the original language. As Christians, we are new creations in Christ. We've been radically changed. The person we used to be is dead. So it's utterly incompatible for a new creation in Christ to be comfortable in habitual sin. You know, that, and again, I know this can be, but you know, we shouldn't be shy, shy to talk. So the church I pastored in Santa Cruz has the, Santa Cruz has the largest per capita population of homosexuals. We'd have homosexuals come to our church and they were always welcome and we wanted to share the love of Christ with them. I'd, always, I'd have homosexual couples come meet with me for counseling and I would tell them, you guys are in sin, you need to repent and you need to stop. And they would say, yeah, but we love each other. Okay. And a lot of people love their sin, but it's still sin. It's not how God, cre- well, I've always felt this way. Well, I was born this way. First of all, I don't believe you were born this way, but even if you were, we were all born sinners. Amen. I'd be a born adulterer, born fornicator, born liar, born prideful, born whatever. And the reality is we got to die to our sin and surrender ourselves to the Lord. Amen? And they'll say, well, if we continue in our homosexual relationship and we surrender our lives to the Lord, can we go to heaven? I say, well, first of all, if you surrender life to your Lord, you won't continue in your homosexual relationship. Amen? And it's easy to pick on homosexuals, but fornicators, adulterers, by the way, gossip's in that list. Amen? Be careful. Don't be gossiping about the homosexuals. You're on the same line with them. Can I get an amen to that? 
The question is, how do we react to sin? Holy Spirit conviction will not allow us to remain there for long. In some ways, the question is, do, is not, do you sin or not? We all sin. The question is, how do you react to sin? Do you give it a pattern? Do you give into a pattern of sin and let it dominate your lifestyle? Or do you humbly confess your sin and do battle against it, empowered by the Holy Spirit? True conversion is seen in a Holy Spirit conviction. While we struggle daily with sin, if we're truly abiding in Christ, we will never be comfortable in our sin. Are you comfortable in your sin? Are you okay with it? Are you just making excuses for it? Did you bring Agag back like Saul, the king of the flesh, right? Brought back the king of the flesh, held on to the one thing that he wanted to keep. And a lot of times some people become Christians. My boss used to tell me, she ended up eventually getting saved, but she would tell me, I would become a Christian, but I'm not going to be able to party and drink like crazy on the weekends anymore. So I, I said, so you're willing to go to hell for bourbon or for whiskey? I said, by the way, if you give your life to Jesus Christ, you won't want that anymore. Because be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't need spirits. I have the Spirit. Amen? And spirits, you drive your car into a tree. When you have the Holy Spirit, you share Jesus with other people. Give me that one. Amen? And so there's this thing where we don't want to let go of that very thing that the enemy is using to keep you from surrendering your life fully to the Lord. It's time to let go of that. Amen? Time to repent from that. Turn away from it. Have nothing to do with it. Does the Lord love you? What's the answer? He proved it on the cross. So if he gives you commands, it's because he knows what's best for you. He's pleading with you. This will harm you. Don't do this. And the enemy is over there licking his chops, telling you it's okay. Satan's been lying since he lied to Eve. Amen? In the garden. Oh, God won't care if you do that. Does the Bible really say... This is why it's so grieving to see Christians making excuses for their sin and not humbly confessing them. Unless the sin is dealt with squarely, it will contribute to a pattern of sin that may soon become a lifestyle, perhaps a secret lifestyle, but a lifestyle nonetheless. What is important is never to sign a peace treaty with sin. We never wink at its presence or excuse it by saying everybody has their own sinful areas. This is mine. Jesus understands. This completely goes against everything we are in Christ and the work he did for us. Amen? And it says, whoever, whoever sins, what it says there, the rest of that verse, whoever sins habitually has made it a way of life, has made you know, uh, excuses for it, has neither seen him nor known him. When someone truly recognizes for Jesus for who he is, he, to know him by experience, the word is gnosko, not just know about him, but know him, it will be reflected in radically transformed behavior. To a, live a life of habitual sin is to demonstrate that we haven't truly recognized Jesus for who he is. Guys, again, sometimes we'll make an emotional confession somewhere. I've done 300 funerals in my life. And I've never done one where the people didn't think the person who died wasn't saved. And I totally get it because that is, I'm going to trip and fall. I don't want to be pastor's funniest home videos up here. But I, whenever I do a funeral, they always think they're saved. And certainly we're all hopeful and none of us know if anybody's saved. Amen? They could have given their life and the, I don't know. But true salvation is not walking. And here's what I'll get. Oh, well, when he was seven, he went to a camp and he was baptized, and that's wonderful. But then for the next 75 years, he rejected God and cheated on his wife and cursed the Lord and wanted nothing to do with him and never opened his Bible and used his name as a curse word. I wouldn't want to be that guy on Judgment Day. How about you? Because again, if he had truly given his life to the Lord, everything after that would have changed. 
I had a man not long ago who, uh, used, uh, who I knew, and he would say, well, yeah, I got saved in 1991, let's just say, but I lived like the devil for another 15 years, and then I started walking with, I said, bro, you weren't saved then. Well, yes, I, no, you, no, no. He was dealing drugs. You know, he was committing, he was sleeping around, dealing drugs. Part. He's like, yeah, I was walking. No, you didn't. Because were you convicted? Well, no, I actually felt pretty. No, you didn't know the Lord. Because you can't take the Holy Spirit with you into that and not be convicted by it. Amen? You're, there's going to be conviction. If, there's been, if there is no conviction, there's been no conversion. To know him is to live a transformed life. And it says, whoever sins, this habitual, ongoing, making excuses for it, making it a way of lifestyle. If you're sinning in that way, he has neither seen him nor known him. Verse seven, little children, let no one deceive you who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Little children, again, a term of endearment, especially to those who are newer in the faith. He's saying, let no one deceive you. Now in the context, he's talking about the Gnostics who are coming along. Oh, you're a Christian? Good. You can live however you want. You gave your life to Jesus, your spirit is saved, your flesh is wicked anyway, sleep around, party, do whatever you want, be angry, be bitter, brawl, be a brawler, it doesn't matter because your spirit's saved. He's, re- he's responding to that right here by saying to them, let no one deceive you. Again, the Gnostic false teaching threatening these first century Christians, repeated references to this Gnostic teaching, not picking on the Gnostics as much as protecting the sheep. You know why we preach the word with boldness around here? Because the word of God is what will protect you from all the false teachers. Amen? If you, don't, if you know the truth, you will recognize the lie when you hear it or when you see it. And if you don't know the truth, you will fall for a lie in a minute. There's a guy online. God bless him. I want to meet this guy. He goes into Walmart, some places like that, and he just walks up to him with a $20 bill and says, hey, I got a $20 bill. Can you quote one verse from the Bible and you'll get $20? And he will go 30 people with nobody knowing one verse in the Bible. Ouch. And then he'll finally get to somebody and he'll say, Jesus wept or something like that, right? <laughs> but the point I'm making is we as, a, we as Christians need to be a little more outspoken so that people hear about Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. Amen. I'm not taking away the responsibility they have it, but it just, it was an eye-opener to me. He's had like 30 of these videos, and I'm like, man, 90% of the people out there can't quote one Bible verse. That's scary. Guys, and there's some people that would call themselves Christians that can't quote one Bible verse. You know why you can't quote a Bible verse? Because you don't read the Bible. Amen? Open it, read it, obey it. Amen? You have a much better life. It's what God's called you to. By the way, he's the love of your life. He wrote down a love letter to you. He's given it to you. It's a roadmap for living a life that's holy and set apart, that impacts a lost and a dying world. Why would you not read it? It says, he who practices righteousness is righteous. Again, directly contradicts the Gnostic teaching. The word of God does not allow us to separate righteousness from righteous living. You can't say you're righteous and not live righteously, not live in a different way. Again, not sinless, but you should sin less. If we've been made righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ, it will be seen by our righteous lives. True righteousness is reflected in righteous living. A truly born-again believer will not remain in the state of habitual sin and rebellion. It doesn't mean as Christians we won't struggle with that thing that used to be so difficult for us, because that happens to a lot of people, amen? 
You gave your life to the Lord and there's this one area that will draw you back. But the difference is when it draws you back, I know I'm being repetitive here, because, but I know this is troubling some people, okay? If it draws you back and you fall back into it, it doesn't mean you weren't saved if you're convicted. Amen? When you do it, if you're like, oh, I can't even, you fall on your knees. Not long ago, I had somebody that I knew that had been sober for 20 years and relapsed. And the person was weeping and sobbing and just heartbroken and couldn't believe they had done it and was just saying to me, I can't believe, and I, and I just told myself, look, the fact that you feel the way that you feel is a reflection of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you because 20 years ago before you knew the Lord and you drank, you didn't feel this way about drinking, amen? So it doesn't mean we'll never sin again, but it means that when we sin, we see it in a different light and we want no part of it, amen? And by the way, accountability is a good thing. We all need accountability. Come to Overcomers on Saturday nights. Come to the men's study. You know, come to Bible studies where you can have other people who, are, again, are holding up your hands and helping you to stay in the path that God has for you. The most important thing, important thing a person can ever do is make sure they are righteous before God. It simply means they are held in right standing before God. It is more than, it's more, more that saying not guilty. It's more like saying not guilty and in right standing. It's not just a not guilty for God forgave your past, but now we're walking with him in the present. It speaks of a, a presence of good, not just an absence of evil. John is not saying we're, we are made righteous before God by our own righteous acts. The Bible clearly teaches that we are made righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ. See, so you might be here and going, how do, how, all this stuff you're talking about, this is heavy. How do I fix this? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you will be, you'll be saved. You will be forgiven. The Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you. He will walk with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will comfort you when you need to be comforted. I know all about that the last 10 months. But he will also convict you when you need to be convicted. Amen? And I love the Holy Spirit. How about you? John is clearly rebuking that idea that we can be righteous before God without any evidence of righteous behavior. Spurgeon said, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. If Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? If it doesn't change me, it won't save me. Because if it doesn't change me, I never truly surrendered and I would never was truly saved. Jesus, it says, as he is righteous at the end of that verse there, just as he is righteous. Jesus is our source, our standard for righteous living. It's not the Gnostics. It's not our friends. It's not your pastor. Nobody else is the standard for how you live except for Jesus Christ. Amen? Because other people will fail you. Other pe I have people say, well, my pastor friend does this. I don't care. Well, my so-and-so does this. So what? Would Jesus do it? What would Jesus do? Can I get an amen to that? Let's honor him. Let's obey him. Let's follow him. Let's be like Jesus. Amen? Nothing better. Jesus is righteous. As we live his holy, set-apart life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're becoming more and more like him. So point number one was our sin problem. We saw sin defined. We saw sin defeated at the cross. In him, there is no sin. How are we living? Are we abiding in him? We're abiding in sin. Again, if we walked, if we followed you around for the next two weeks with a video camera and we videotaped everything you said, thought, and did, and then we put you on trial for being a Christian only using that video, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
Would people see you in the word? Would they see you sharing your faith? Would they see you being, you know, again, they would see sin in there because we all sin, but would they see that as an exception, not the rule of your life? Would they see you living a holy and set apart life? Would they see you grieved by your sin? Amen? And so we see there that how are you living? And again, how you're living won't save you, but how you're living is a reflection that you've been saved. Amen? Finally, whose child are you? Uh Uh-oh. Verse 8 and 9. He who sins is of what? You all raised your hand when we said sinners. We're all of the devil. No. Again, this is the sin that is habitual, unrepented, defines your lifestyle. It's ongoing. It defines you. If you're living that life, if you're living contrary to the word of God, if it defines who you are, you are of the devil. Now, some may say, well, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not an adulterer, and, I, and I'm not a murderer. But the Bible says, if you ever lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. The Bible says, if you had hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. If you said, I hate that guy one time in your life, bunch of murderers in this room, just me too, amen? And so sometimes we'll, we'll say, well, he's talking about the worst of the worst. That's not me. Well, here's the reality. All of us, apart from Christ, are sinners. And if we don't let him pay for it, we will have to. Amen? And so if we're walking in that, we practice that sinful behavior. Notice what it says of the devil. It says, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Where's the first per- who's the first person who's, the first, well, not a person, but the first being to sin in all of history? Who was it? It was Lucifer. He was the most beautiful of all the angels. Most believe he was the worship leader. And because he was beautiful and because he was gifted, he tried to overthrow almighty God. And in so doing, he was cast out of heaven and a third of the angels went with him and they are now demons. Now what happened was he thought he could be God and now he has all these cults teaching people that you can be God of your own planet, amen? Where does that come from? That's Satan-like. Satan has been a sinner and a liar from the beginning. Satan is the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy this country. Can I get amen to that? And that's Satan running amok. And one thing that needs to happen is Christians need to come out of the closet for Jesus Christ and quit being ashamed of the gospel and speak it with truth. Do it in love, but do it with boldness because people need Jesus and people are being bold for every lie under the sun. Let's be bold for the truth. Let's not compromise it, but let's do it in love. Can I get an amen to that? We need to do that. We need to do that. He who practices righteousness is Christ-like, is a child of God, and he who sins willingly is Satan-like, following the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. People who have settled into lives of habitual sin and rebellion are not children of God, but are of the devil. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to free us from our bondage to the devil. By the way, you know who else is not going to be in heaven? The devil. Amen? And the demonic Everybody in scripture used mildly, suffered greatly. The enemy goes after those being used mildly by God. There's a day coming when all that will be gone. Jesus doesn't lead us into the, to a lifestyle of rebellion and habitual sin. There is one who does, and it's Satan. Again, the first one to choose his own rebellion, and when we rebel against God, we're following after him. It got him cast out of heaven. It says in Isaiah 14, how how thou have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. 
Now thou art cut down from the ground who did weaken the nations. For thou hast said in his heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will make my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. He's claiming to be God. How can we sit... How can we think the same selfish heart of pride and rebellion will get us into heaven, amen? We can't be arrogant and full of ourselves. We need to die to ourselves. Don't you hate pride in other people? <laughs> amen? When you see someone prideful, it's just nauseating, isn't it? And then we struggle with it ourselves, amen? Football seasons, I played football through college, and every time a guy makes a tackle, like especially in college they do this, they'll tackle a guy 18 yards down the field, and They'll point to their name on the back, and you're like, get back in the huddle and shut up. You know what I mean? But when we see pride in other people, we go, dude, get over yourself. But then how many of us struggle with pride sometimes? Amen? The Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That really hurt my surgical spot. That wasn't very good. That was genius right there. He that commits sin is of the devil. It is no, not used for making excuses and apologies. If we are a lover of sin, you shall go where sinners go. You're going to spend eternity with the one you love, with the things you love. If you love the Lord, if you follow the Lord, if you serve the Lord, if he's the priority and passion of your life, you'll spend eternity in heaven with him. If you love your sin, if you love partying, if you love the things of the world, and you love the things that the devil's drawing you away to, you'll spend your eternity doing that. And by the way, all these people that say, well, I don't know if I believe there's a God, and if there is, and I'll just be shaking the hands of all my friends in hell because we're all going there together. It's just going to be one big party. No, it's going to be isolation, separation, torment. And you know what? I don't want to see anybody in this tent go there. Amen? And neither does the Lord. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. See, this is why the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It says there, verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Now again, uh-oh, here we get it repeated again. Again, the word for sin there doesn't mean that there's never a sinful act. What it means is they do not walk in open, habitual, sinful behavior where they've turned their life over to it and it dominates who they are. It defines who they are. It's tragic. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, not to neutralize them or alleviate them or limit them, but to destroy them. We need not fear the devil nor succumb to the temptation. Again, as we walk with the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live holy lives. We can have victory over the enemy and his temptations. Doesn't mean we'll be sinless, but we should sin less. And Satan no longer has power over our lives that he once had. Amen? If you've been born again, You've become a citizen of heaven. You're a new creation in Christ. In such a life, there's a radical transformation. The fruit of such a life, among other things, is you do not sin. Again, you do not live a life of continual, continuous and habitual sin and open rebellion against God and his commands. It says, notice how it finishes up. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now he's saying the person has been born of God the seed remains in him. Well, in the Bible, the word seed, virtually every time you see it represents what? Word of God. So I think there's two things that abide in us that help us to live holy and set apart lives. Every time, now you, you'll hear these false prophets on TV and they call seed money. 
got to plant a seed. Of course, it's always in their garden. Have you ever noticed how that works? Send us a thousand dollars and you'll get rich. And it's, it's false prophecy. It's pathetic. It gives a, a bad name to the cause of Christ. Amen. Because you know what? Money doesn't matter. It's all going to burn. It's wood, hay, and trouble. It's chaff. It just doesn't, it's not that important. Amen. How much money would I give to have my son back? What do you think? Money means nothing. People mean, only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen. Well, they'll use the word for seed for money, but we see it in the Bible, like the parable of the sower, right? When he spreads the seed, that's the word of God. Some take it, right? Others get choked off by the world. So those who have the word of God implanted in them remain in him. If the word of God is planted in us, and it's not only the word of God that we have planted in us, it's the Holy Spirit, amen? So we have the word of God implanted in us to know right from wrong, and we have the Holy Spirit who illuminates the truth of God's word and convicts us to keep us from walking in habitual sin and brings conviction whenever we get outside of God's will to keep us in the center of his will. And that's how you know someone is saved. It's how they view their sin. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of them. And I would encourage you that the word of God will help you to stay on that path. Amen? You know, we don't do seven steps to financial freedom here or three ways to overcome your anger or Beaver doesn't live here anymore, the series of the roller coaster ride of life. We just teach the Bible because it's the word of God that will transform us. Amen? It's not some, you know, entertaining uh, three points in a poem, as they used to say. Amen? As believers, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and the spirit of God. He is the Holy Spirit. And with him dwelling in us, he will not allow us to remain in sin because it says here, he has been born of God. No longer born of Adam, but born of God. We're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. We're new creations in Christ. We've been given a new nature. We've been adopted into God's family. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. There's an obvious and observable change. It says in Ephesians 4, we put off concerning our former conduct, the old man who grows corrupt accordingly to deceitful lust and put on the new man, which was created accordingly to God, to true righteousness and holiness. As spirit-filled born-again believers, we are different. Amen? And if there's no difference, there's no salvation. There's no conviction. There's no conversion. If the world sees no difference in you, I'm worried about your salvation. It's not for me to judge, but I'm worried about it. If we go to your neighborhood, I would hope every neighbor that you know in that neighborhood knows you're a Christian. Amen? If we go to your workplace, everybody, every one of your coworkers ought to know that you have a relationship with the Lord. You know why? Because we love him so much, we can't help but talk about him. Amen? I love to introduce my wife and my kids to people. I love to introduce my grandkids to people because I love them. But you know who I love even more? Jesus Christ. And we should not be ashamed to tell other people about him. Because here's the good news about him. He's not just my savior. He can be yours too. And that joy that I have, you can have it too. And that answer and that peace that comes from the Lord, you can have it too. I've been complimented a lot in the last month or so, and I don't deserve it. But I've had a couple people say, I wish you were my dad. Where I've counseled people and they say, I wish you were my dad. And I would say, you got a way better dad than me. Our heavenly father. Can I get an amen to that? He is our dad. We all have him in common. So in closing, as we prepare for communion, sin in the child of God. Well, that was pretty lightweight, wasn't it? It's heavy stuff. It's in the Bible for a reason, amen? Again, while we strive to live holy, we miss the mark, but we will not Walk in continuous rebellion. Our sin problem, the nature of sin, it's sin, we saw sin defied, it's lawlessness. Again, we 
fail in that battle against sin, but we, again, don't call it for what it is, and we'll try to make excuses. Instead of an offense against God, we call it a mistake or a bad choice. So we saw sin defined, then we saw sin defeated. He was manifested to take away our sins. Jesus left heaven and took on human flesh. We cannot take away the penalty of sin. We cannot take away the power of sin. We cannot take the presence of sin away in our own strength. Jesus did it for us. In him, there is no sin. As we walk in him, we've been made holy in him. How are you living? Are you abiding in him? Are you abiding in sin? Does sin define your life or does a walk with God define your life? And then finally, who are you a child of? Child of the devil, practicing, you know, sinning willingly, habitually, without conviction, or a child of God, practicing righteousness, exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to all of that? So now we go to a time of communion, and I can't think of a more perfect time to do it than after that chapter, amen? Communion is, there's two sacraments in the New Testament church, really, and it's the Lord's Supper, communion, and baptism. We're going to do both of those today. And communion, the bread and the cup, are representations of Christ. Since Jesus was in the upper room on the night when he was to be crucified, he was about to be arrested. He would go from there into the garden, be arrested, and then be crucified. And they were observing Passover. Passover in the Old Covenant is looking back to their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt when the blood of the Lamb in the shape of a cross... And the angel of death would pass over and they would be delivered. As they were remembering Passover, he brought out the elements. He brought out the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus was telling them beforehand that this bread that was striped and pierced and they would cover it in linen and hide it and then go find it and rejoice was all a picture of Jesus and what he was going to do for them on the cross. His body was broken that you might be made whole. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for many for the remission of sins. All those thousands of animals whose blood was shed was always pointing to Jesus. And so communion is only for people who have given their life to the Lord. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So this is for people who know him. And we're going to pass out the elements in a moment. But before we do, we need to give people an opportunity that don't know the Lord to come to know the Lord right now. Amen? If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Or maybe you walked an aisle and you prayed a prayer years ago, but your life never changed. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If the word of God has convicted you, not the words of man, but the Holy Spirit has convicted you, yes, I'm a sinner. And you know what? I need to be forgiven. And I can't be good enough on my own. And I need to surrender my life to the Lord. How do I do that? I'm gonna give you a chance to do that right now. With every head bowed. Let's pray for those that may not know the Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you're ready to confess him, to, I wanna make him my, my Lord and my Savior. I wanna have the promise of eternal life. I want the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of me. If that's your desire, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are so I can pray for you. Anybody at all, don't leave here without the Lord. Anybody at all, the Lord loves you so much you'd rather die than live without you. Anybody at all. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. As we go now to this time of communion, may we take the elements, hold them in our hands and spend some time in your presence. May we look back to the cross or remember the greatest act of love. May we look within our own hearts, be there anything we need to confess before you. And may we look forward to heaven when we'll be around your throne one day. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.